Moms, I know divorce can be really messy, but selling your engagement ring can actually be quick, easy, and stress-free with Worthy. Worthy uses their expertise, technology, and connections to get you the absolute most for your jewelry with no hidden fees. Plus, just for my audience, Worthy gave me a special offer to share. When you sell your jewelry through Worthy, you'll receive a $100 Amazon gift card when your jewelry sells for over $1,500. Ready to move on from your ring? Head to worthy.com slash moms to get started today. That's worthy.com slash moms for the special bonus offer. This week on Moms Moving On. So it sounds like we call in for the parenting coordinator when things are like at a level six and we head straight for the guardian when we get to level 10. Correct. Absolutely. Life moves on. So why shouldn't we? This is Michelle Dempsey-Moltak, your host of Moms Moving On, navigating divorce, co-parenting, single motherhood, and moving on. Welcome back to another episode of Moms Moving On. I'm really excited because today we're going to answer a question that I get a lot. And it's a question that if you are in the midst of the divorce process and things have gotten challenging and lawyers are saying words like guardian ad litem or parenting coordinator, and you don't know which way to go or which route to take, this episode is going to help really answer those questions. We have Dr. Stacy Jones on with us today. She's a licensed psychologist with over 25 years of clinical experience. Her professional expertise centers around navigating the multifaceted challenges faced by parents, children, and families. Through specialized training, she facilitates the reconstruction of familial bonds, fostering an environment free from bias and judgment, wherein individuals and families can find solace and security. So we are going to clarify today when to use a parenting coordinator versus when to use a guardian, or if you may be best using both. Stacey, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. I know. This is a really important conversation. And these are terms that, unfortunately, if you're a divorcing person, you've never even heard of until all of a sudden you're knee deep in probably something high conflict. You're freaking out. Your kids are reacting and you don't know what to do with yourself. But before we get into all that, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Well, I'm a licensed psychologist. I'm a family court expert, a parenting coordinator, a family mediator. I do a lot of um, work with high conflict families, helping them to rebuild to a new norm. So that involves sometimes psychological evaluations, going to the home, doing a social investigation or family therapy or just consulting and helping people to make choices that are really difficult for the best interests of their children. And that's such a tough role to take on. You are getting in the midst of everybody's most emotional stuff and yes. almost trying to force them to see like the forest for the tree through the trees or whatever that saying is because it's yes. the kids that, you know, everyone gets so lost in their own emotions and it's the kids there yes. in the middle, like, Hey, hello, we need the help. Yes. You guys need to figure it out. Um, but I want to ask you a question before we get into everything. High conflict. Does it always start out that way in your experience? Right. Not at all. Not at all. I'll get a call from an attorney or from a guardian at Lightum and 
this is a really easy case. The parents are really amicable. They're getting along well, and they just need someone to help them sort things out. Will you help them out? I'm like, sure. And then as we progress, something happens, change of circumstances. Somebody gets a girlfriend or a boyfriend, or it comes to selling something or changing a school. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it's World War III. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> I can't tell you the number of times I'll have a new consult with a with somebody and they they'll tell me, you know, my my partner and I just want to do things amicably. Um we don't really have a lot to fight about. We want 50-50, not a lot in the bank, you know, and next thing I know, it's knockdown drag out and I'm always like how do we go from 0 to 60? Like how do we make that stop? Uh, sure. I, I don't know if there's an answer to that, but it's just so heartbreaking that the process can take that turn. Absolutely, which is why it's so important to have these neutral third-party professionals that have experience in meeting with families when they're arguably at their worst and helping them to see the forest and not each little tree. Mm -hmm. And one step at a time, one foot forward and think of their kids first and not all the drama moving forward. So let's define... Mm-hmm. parenting coordinator. Who is that? What do they sure. do? What role do they play? Sure. So a parenting coordinator can either be an attorney or a mental health person who is court ordered. If you don't have a court order, it's not a parenting coordinator. It's just a parenting coach or expert or something else. And they help the parents to implement the parenting plan. It's alternative dispute resolution and it's non-adversarial. So that means there. this isn't a highly litigated case where they need to have somebody that has the ability to report to the judge and make decisions that are going to be court ordered. This is more of a referee for the parents. It's also to help educate the parents on what's in the best interests of the children, help inform them and help make decisions. I mean, I one might argue, and I have my own opinions on this, that like, shouldn't one be assigned to every case where there are minor children involved? Like, where is the logic behind that, that we only call in for the PC at, like at in the 11th inning? What? Why do you think that is? Right. Well, people think if it ain't broke, right? But just like parents have to have, manda- in most states, mandatory parenting courses when they're getting divorced, I think that this is something that should also <laughs> be a resource for parents. Yeah. But it it comes down to money though. And a lot of people can't afford it or they don't feel like they need it. Here's the thing though. If you think big picture, at least, I mean, I've been doing this four years, five years, and I've already seen that the work you don't put in in the beginning, the money you don't invest into the process in the beginning, you're paying for later when your kids need therapy. I mean, it's the truth. Yes. Whether you like it or not. And, And I just wish more people understood that, but- Absolutely. And there are um, resources out there that are pro bono or low bono. I know in, in our district, they have at family court services, they have mental health services and parenting courses for people that can't afford it you know, for a low rate or for free. Yeah. It's so important. When I, I took a few classes on collaborative divorce and when I realized how yeah. much benefit it brings to the family overall as their dynamic changes and we have to start, you know, looking at what the kids need. Like 
what a blessing. Yes. But anyway, I digress. Yes. Okay, so parenting coordinator, what kind of um, decision-making power do they have? Like, is the judge right. going to listen to them before the lawyer? What what goes on with right. that? That's a good question. Now, per statute, the parenting coordinator is not really able to be in court and speak to the judge. There are special circumstances where they're able to, which is why it's non-adversarial. So with, it depends on the court order. So a parenting coordinator is allowed to make decisions for the family within the scope of the order. So if it says to assist with um, enforcing the parenting plan, well, then they would help with whatever is specific on there or to help the children to find a school or to help make decisions on, on health, that kind of thing. But it's not necessarily going to be enforced with a judge. Okay. That's when you would need to have a guardian ad litem. Got it. Be. Okay. So the parent and coordinator meets with the children? Typically not. And that is another good okay. question. They okay. usually work with the parents only. Very rarely will I meet with a child or children. And that's if the children have special needs and there is not a therapist or a psychologist or resources. But that's something that the parenting coordinator would make a recommendation for to have the, the child or children evaluated or to recommend a therapist or therapy or evaluation for physical therapy or for medication management evaluation. So it's more so, like referee. Got it. So a family takes on this referee, either because mm -hmm. their lawyer suggested it or somebody suggested it. How right. how many sessions is typical when you're when you're involved as a parenting coordinator? There is no typical. Sometimes I'll meet with the family one time and there'll be an accusation of abuse or violence. And I will say this is above my ability mm -hmm. and outside the scope of a parenting coordinator per statute because domestic violence and abuse has already been ruled out. Mm -hmm. And then I will recommend a guardian at litem. And once the guardian at litem is, is appointed, I will work in tandem with them to make sure that they have the recommendations, but a, a parenting coordinator is not an investigator. We don't go mm -hmm. to the home and evaluate for abuse. Okay. So it sounds like we call in for the parenting coordinator when things are like at a level six and we yes. head straight for the guardian when we get to level 10. Correct. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. All right. So tell me more about the role of a guardian and when is a guardian appointed? Okay, so a guardian at litem is, is court-ordered as well. And that is when there's contested child custody cases. They're going to, or alleged abuse, any sort of issue where the child is not having their needs met and there's suspicion of danger. Or again, there's an argument about child custody. And they meet with the family. They go to the house. They assess the child's needs. And and special circumstances to determine what is needed. And they report to the judge. They determine what's in the child's best interest because the court doesn't have the time or the ability to focus on each family in, in such a, a way where they're in it. Mm -hmm. And they, rec they make recommendations. And one of those recommendations is often a parenting coordinator to follow the family post-judgment. Often, sometimes they're before I say mm -hmm. prejudgment, but I don't know if that's a real thing, um, expression, but. Well, there's um, post-judgment, so there has to be pre, right? Right. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> I know. I had an attorney say, well, we didn't really say that, but um, 
I don't like having cases prejudgment, if you will, because there's usually still a lot of um, issues that have to be sorted out before I can start with schools and educating and 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 whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the guardian is there to assess based on speaking to collaterals, whether that's teachers, family members, doctors, the attorneys, and they get you know a very thorough take on what's going on with this family, with each parent, and then they make recommendations to the court. And in your experience, how influential is this person in, in the family's lives? Extremely influential. Extremely. Because a judge has sometimes a half hour, an hour, two hours to make a really life-changing recommendation. Mm-hmm. And they don't have the time to dig deep into this yeah. family. Yeah. So having some having a guardian at litem who's an agent of the court, an intermediary between the court and the family and the child to say, okay, here's what's going on, Your Honor. And I recommend that this family have each child see a therapist and have each child see a, psycho- a psychiatrist and that each child remains at the same school for continuity of care and will follow up. I recommend that we follow up in a few months. And mm-hmm. the judge usually will put a lot of emphasis on what the guardian says, because how are they supposed to have an no understanding? They don't know what they don't know, right? Right, right. Do you think there are ever instances where adding a guardian into the mix works against the family? Like, can it rev things up? Will it make things more contentious? Because obviously one of the parents involved is not going to like the recommendations made, right? Sure. Yes, absolutely. Um, Sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. Mm -hmm. And if one parent strongly is against having a guardian, my little alert goes up because- They're probably the one that needs it most. (laughs) Yes. If someone wants to come to my house and investigate, bring it. It's a little bit messy, but hey, you know, come on in. Yeah. So there's nothing to hide. Obviously it costs money and it's an expense unless they do have volunteer ones as well Mm -hmm. and and low bono. But the parent that's usually against it um, is the one that might need to make some better decisions. Yeah. It's like that, that quote that I love. Um, I'm in therapy to deal with the person in my life who won't go to therapy. You know, that quote, the (laughs) same with the guardian. Yeah. It's, it's, it's there because you have resisted doing the right thing for so long. But unfortunately, many of my clients who are women will ultimately end up with a guardian in the mix and they just hate the guardian and they feel the guardian is against them because the guardian is making recommendations they don't want to hear. So how do you like reconcile that with somebody? Sure. Well, it's not easy because sometimes a guardian will make a recommendation, for example, well, you need to have therapy. Well, I'm not the quote, crazy one. Um, I hope people see my air quotes. Um, He is. (laughs) So sometimes telling parents, like, you just have to go with the recommendation. The more defensive you are, the more it's going to look like you have something to hide. Mm -hmm. If you don't need therapy, maybe there's something you can benefit from it. If you don't need that parenting course, but he does or but she does, you know what? Maybe there's something you can learn from it. We all have to eat shit a little bit sometimes for the sake right. of our kids. Right, right. I know. Trust me, I'm I'm with you 100%. And, you know, 
it's guardians and I don't know, maybe so much parents and coordinators, but guardians and judges are really in a position where every single day they're pissing 50% of people off that they see, you know, and, and it's hard, but I, I am of the opinion. Then again, I'll very honestly say I never had to work with a guardian or a parenting coordinator. So I don't speak from experience, but from the outside, I do feel the more cooks in the kitchen who are looking out for your kids, the better, even if in the moment you can't see why this might be the best thing for them because you are very bogged down by your own emotions, have a little faith and have a little trust. I'm going to get skewered for saying that though, because the majority of people are always very unhappy when a guardian does not do exactly what they want. Sure. But also it takes a lot of humility during a very difficult time to let somebody Mm -hmm. else make these recommendations. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know about you, but, and I know you have beautiful daughter. I've seen her pictures. I don't want someone telling me how to raise my kid. That would probably like piss me off. Yeah. You don't know my kid. Who are you? You're going to come in here with a clipboard and tell me like what's best for my kid. Uh Uh-uh. So I can see some of that. I understand that, especially when there's so much conflict, so much stress, you're going through your own, you know, storm. And then someone's there and, and trying to take control of your children. They're calling it the Bible for all divorcing moms. I can't believe it, but that's what they've said about my book, Moms Moving On, Real Life Advice on Conquering Divorce, Co-Parenting Through Conflict, and Becoming Your Best Self. Moms Moving On is filled with practical, actionable, and empowering advice from someone who's been through it and come out on the other side, me. Through inspirational stories, rituals, journal prompts, and my guidance, you'll learn how to navigate your divorce with confidence, adjust to life as a single mom, shift your perspective to find your way back to your best self, and create the life you truly deserve. It's available in paperback, hardcover, audiobook, and Kindle. So go get my book. I promise you won't regret it. I'm going to use a word now that, I don't know, has become very much contested on social media, at least. Alienation. People don't like the word because of the person who coined the term, but it doesn't mean that doesn't happen on both sides, not just moms, it's dads too. Um, how how easily can a guardian or parenting coordinator sniff that out if that's, if that's what's happening? Right. It's for me, and maybe that's just because I'm old, I've been doing this for a while. I can you know it from a mile away. It out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can smell it. I've got like this, like, you know, radar here. Um, but I do want to clarify there's alienation, if you will, and then there's alleged alienation, and then there's attempted alienation. So Interesting. I will tell parents oftentimes, uh, well, we know what alleged is, right? We know what alienation is. But attempted, I'll have a parent say, Well, mom's alienating. Because she's telling the kids that I had an affair and that I did this and I did that. I'm like, well, if that's the case, because I'm usually a neutral, I'm always a neutral, but in some cases, if I'm a a consultant, it's on one side, but I will say, well, that's the case. How is your child behaving? Oh, well, you know, we had ice cream. We're having a good time. I'm like, well, they're not acting alienated. So they're not alienated. They're not being alienated, but somebody is possibly trying to, or maybe they don't even know what they're doing it. But someone is sharing inappropriate information, disparaging the other parent, and that is not appropriate. And then we know that a child has been alienated when 
they're refusing to go or. Yes. The refusing a parent and re- or rejecting a parent. That's when my alert goes up. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and I'll have a parent say, but look at all these pictures. And I know a picture is just literally a snapshot of, of time, but I'll see, you know, home movies and, 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 and I'm thinking you can't make this up. And then all of a sudden she was never there for me. He was never there for me. I never saw them. And my favorite is, well, he was working all the time and my mom did everything. And I'm thinking, well, your parents probably had an agreement where I'm going to stay home while he or she hunts and gathers. And that was their, that was their arrangement Mm -hmm. and change of circumstances. You know, now they're getting divorced and one parent that was stay at home may start working more. And the parent that was working more may choose to stay home a little more or be able to, or want to. So that's divorce. Yeah. I just want to say for anybody listening, who's, who might be feeling a little triggered, just because your child does not want to go see the other parent does not make you an alienator. It's, it's a result of attempted alienation. It's not the only reason why your child might not want to go. There's a million reasons why a child might not want to go see the other parent that have nothing to do with that. So rest assured, we're not calling you out on anything you're not actually doing. Correct. Correct. When I start hearing like speaking in in superlatives, like the worst mother or the worst father, or they were never there for me and they were never, that's when my alert goes up. Yeah. Sometimes your kids just don't want to transition because they're kids and they're comfortable and- don't want to have to put their yes. sneakers on again. So it's it's not it's yes. not always as serious as we just made it seem. Um, Absolutely. Well, this is so helpful because I get these questions all the time. And, you know, is it different state to state when it comes to parenting coordinator and guardian, or is it pretty standard across the board? It's pretty standard across the board. I'm not familiar with every state, um, but it's pretty standard across the board. When I first started 10 years ago, parenting coordination coordinators weren't a thing in, in some states. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm not even sure if it's in all the states and territories yet, but it's pretty standard from my understanding. Yeah. So you have tons of experience and you wear a lot of different hats in your own business and your profession. What would you say is your favorite type of thing to work on or favorite hat to wear within your practice? I think my favorite hat is doing expert work, doing the forensic work. Mm, interesting. Not as an evaluator. I do not enjoy, and I haven't done any since 2024, um, psychological evaluations on parents to help determine custody or timeshare. I don't like evaluating parents when they're at their worst. It just doesn't feel good. Somebody has to do it. I understand that. Mm-hmm. But that's something that I, I don't enjoy doing but rather I enjoy helping a parent if they call me up and they say, I just got a psyche valve and it says I'm narcissistic and that I need to go to therapy and I can't see my kid. And I'm like, wait a second, <laughs> let me look at that. And yeah. then I'll look at it and I'm like, okay, well, this person that evaluated you, you know, their license expired or oh, God. they, or they um, didn't properly give you enough time to answer this, or I'll see all this testing was done in, in one day for 10 hours of marathon testing, you must've been exhausted. Or did they ask you questions, give you a clinical interview, or they're just looking at numbers and spitting out a report. 
That's mm-hmm. the stuff that it's kind of, it's fun for me to help the people. I shouldn't say fun, but I enjoy helping rewarding. people that, yes, rewarding. Thank you. I couldn't find my, my big old words. <laughs> find helping people that have been wronged through the quote system that's trying to help and we do our best. And the system doesn't always get it right. So, you know, the state of Florida is very lucky. Miami-Dade County, very lucky to have you. And yeah. there really just needs to be more professionals in the mix like you who really just want to look at the whole picture, help the children with what they need and move families along into a better place. Um, I I really appreciate the work that you do. I'm glad you shared it all here with us. Any one big piece of advice for families in transition? Well, one day at a time, one step at a time. But also, I know that's kind of cheesy, but it's true. You can't project... It's just got to get through the day and then wake up and get through the next day. But when it comes to professionals, I want everybody to Google their professionals, go to the Department of Health and make sure that they're licensed and that they're credible and ask your professionals for a 15 minute phone call before if they don't offer that to you. I'd be a little bit, you know, weary, Mm -hmm. weary. A little sus um, for the most part. Some people may not be able to if they're the guardian of item or someone court appointed, but if you want to use a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a mental health person, ask them for a few minutes to talk first. Very wise advice. Dr. Stacy Jones, everybody, thank you so much for being thank here. You. I'm going to link all of your information. And for those of you listening, you. like she said, do your research. Knowledge is power, especially when it means. Yes your children's well-being. For any questions yes. you have, you know where to find us. <laughs> I have to. I'm sorry. I love finding your own happy. This helped me so much because I've been through it too. I, I'm i fangirling just a little bit. I'm trying to be calm, but I, I love your book. So thank you. Thank you. I Appreciate keep it in my office much. and I recommend it to the women that I work with. Thank, thank you. you. I so love much. that. Of Thanks course. Thank you for being here. We'll see you next time on Moms Moving On. So you want to be a divorce coach, but the term divorce coach is a broad one because there is just so much you can cover in the world of moving on. Maybe you find yourself gravitating towards clients with high conflict co-parents, or perhaps you have a knack for helping women pull themselves out of bed when they feel overwhelmed with single mom responsibilities. No matter your ideal client, the one thread that will unite them all is that they're moms and moms need a different level of support when it comes to divorce coaching. With my Moving On Method, you'll not only learn how to best support a client through their divorce, you'll also learn how to help support them as they transition into their new role as co-parents and managing a coaching business. I'm Michelle Dempsey-Moltak, Certified Divorce and Co-Parenting Specialist, and I founded the Moving On Method after years of working with clients from all over the world and seeing them all struggle with the same issues. In this training, you'll learn my five principles for helping a client with their moving on process, along with how to make your practice successful. Visit momsmovingon.com today to apply for my program. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Moms Moving On. I hope you found today's episode to be helpful, inspiring, and give you the advice you need to feel empowered and strong as you move on. 
Don't forget to come say hi on Instagram at the Michelle Dempsey and drop us a line if there's a specific topic or subject you'd like us to discuss. Thanks. Stay strong.